Thanks for tuning in to the seventh podcast of Talking Yoga with Joe. In this episode, Krista Block is my guest. Krista started practicing yoga at a very early age, and today she's a teacher with me at Urban Yoga Charleston. I really enjoy Krista's yoga classes. She's a great teacher. She starts each class just speaking from the heart, nothing written down, yet she has very planned out classes. She challenges you to get into new yoga postures. You can catch Krista all around the East Coast teaching various workshops around D.C., North Carolina, South Carolina. Krista is very sweet, very anatomically knowledgeable, and it was so nice of her to sit down with me. So here it is, ladies and gents, Krista Block. together um, here. That's where we are now um, at Urban Yoga Charleston. Uh, and I know you've been teaching, well, I know you have been practicing yoga for most of your life. Yeah, I haven't really done the math recently, but I started when I was 13 years old, was about to turn 14 in a few months, um, and now I'm 28. <laughs> so, long time. I'm not mathematically gifted, so I won't try to, <laughs> yeah. try to do the math. But a lot longer than um, uh, most people like you, it, I think it's fascinating and very cool that you got into yoga at such an early age. Um, so my first question, I just want to go like right into it, is um, uh, what is the story? How did you get involved in, in your yoga practice? Well, um, I got into my practice through uh, Yoga Zone VHS tapes. Um, Throwback to the VHS. Yes, yeah. it was a VHS experience in my basement. Um, my mom did yoga, she was a high school English teacher, and so she'd come home and she would practice in the basement. And she was just always so happy after she did it. And um, I, actually, my math failure is a great segue into this. Um, I had a math exam coming up, and I'm so bad at math, like terrible at math. I've had teachers tell me that I do not have the mental hardware to do math, so. Me too. It's, it's like terrible. Yeah. Um, I think it's just a, a mind or brain thing, like, I think the same, like my mind does not process like any math equations and I wish I could, but. Yeah, it's like a left brain, you're like, we're more gifted in the left brain and our society doesn't really applaud that as intelligence, but right. it is intelligence, it's just different. <laughs> it's just different. Yeah, um, so I was going to fail this math test. It wasn't even like, like study and maybe you'll pass by. It was like, I was going to fail. So my mom was like, okay, well, there's really not much we can do at this point. So I think that you should just relax. So why don't you come do yoga with me? So I went to the basement and I did this VHS tape with her. And I mean, I just remember laying in Shavasana. And I think most people, the first time they practice, have this experience where they lay in Shavasana and they feel just euphoric. And I had that experience at a really young age um, and I think being such like an anxious child and a very emotional child, getting my mind to stop talking for, even if it was just the two minutes I was laying down, just felt monumental. Um, and that really stuck with me and became almost addictive. So I would practice daily from there in the basement, no mat, just like on the carpet. Um, yeah, with the same uh, VHS video? We had like three. Okay. <laughs> do you remember um, the teachers and do you remember what yes, they were? Yes, I do. Lisa Bennett was, my favorite. She was like this curly-haired, um, like pixie-like, beautiful woman. 
Um, Shout out to Lisa. Is she still around teaching yoga? She does still teach yoga. Um, I don't know. I think she's probably in New York. Um, And then there's this guy on the tape. She had two people on the tape with her. And one of them, my mom and I would like love. He was so cute. And then we found out like years later, they're married now. So that was a cute little follow up. The two teachers? Yeah. I can't think of his name now, but... Uh. I don't know if I would know too. It's not Rodney Yee. It's not Rodney okay, Yee. Yeah, yeah no. I know he t- he's with uh, or married. Colleen, but, yeah. yeah. No, this is Lisa Bennett. I want to say his name's Richard. Um, but yeah. Power of the internet. We'll, we'll have it up there. Yeah, I could find it in five minutes if I want. <laughs> um, so there's that one, and then Alan Finger was the founder of Yoga Zone. Um, and so we did his tapes as well. His wife at the time, Greta, was another teacher on the tapes. Um, and then, like, this was right at the cusp of, like, the VHS or the DVD invention. So then we switched to DVDs. Um, and that got really exciting because you could, sw- like, on one disc, it have, like, a morning practice and a night practice and, like, anxiety, depression, flexibility. And, like, you could, like, go through the menu. And so that's when I really started to see that yoga is prescriptive, that... You can use these postures to evoke a certain feeling or to reach a certain goal or state of mind. Um, and so, I mean, I think that these VHSs and DVDs, like, they don't seem like the most professional or profound entry into yoga, but I'm kind of grateful that I did have that entry. I think that's so cool. I, I think it's funny, too, that it was the DVDs and you're like, oh, this is so fancy and so much nicer. Like, it's prescribed, it's medicine. Um, but essentially, the practice, I think, hasn't it always been very medicinal? It's always been like medicine for people thousands of years ago. And then um, I find it interesting how yoga goes along with the times. And at one point in time, yoga was like on VHS tapes. And now we're like way past that. We're yeah. like on yoga on our phones now. Yeah, it's like but, hologram classes. But that was, yeah, <laughs> eventually we're getting there. But that's cool, like your story begins and that's where it was, like with the VHS, with film and all of that. Yeah, I guess so. Like, yeah original tape <laughs> <laughs> so you practiced that for a couple of years when you were around 13 14 and then what um so I practiced that like through high school and like I had terrible practice habits like I would do like Friday night at midnight like not like I woke up every morning and like did yoga before catching the bus it was like very weird times um mm. so I did that through college and then my mom started going to a studio and I tagged along with her Um, And then just like having an entire environment dedicated to the practice on top of having like the really powerful effects of the practice um, just really got me hooked even deeper. So we started to go to studios and then uh, this is where like everything comes together. Um, A studio, we lived in Maryland at the time and there's a studio in Rockville that actually worked closely with Alan Finger, the like founder of the DVDs and the videos. And so he came to Rockville, Maryland, like where I grew up and we like went to his like workshops. Um, He had a new wife at this point and um, we like meditated with him, did yoga with him and his wife. And it was kind of, I guess like interesting to see how at first, you know, he seemed so distant because he was like in a studio in New York City on my TV and then he was sitting right in front of you. Um, He's right there. Yeah, full circle. Yeah, and so, yeah, I guess that I just kind of had this like all-encompassed experience where, um, you know, I'd be practicing at an arm's width, width distance from these people and then really close to them and 
I just got all these different experiences how yoga can fit into your household or you can go to a special place for yoga, you can visit you know, specific people to do yoga and I just started to see how expansive this practice is and how it can be applied to really any stage of your life, any place, any time. And um, from there I kind of took it with me and made it a part of my life in college too. So. For sure. I know your Ashtanga practice is something that you have been doing um, for a while now. Yes. And I want to ask, um, because for a lot of people, they maybe have see Ashtanga yoga on like in a schedule. And I remember when I did my teacher training in India and looking at my certificate and studying it, I studied Ashtanga yoga, um, but they're two very different things. Yes um, and no. Oh, okay. Can you explain? Yeah. Um, so, Ashtanga means eight limbs. And when people say Patanjali's Ashtanga yoga, they um, are talking about the yoga that Patanjali lays out in the yoga script or the yoga sutras Yama, Niyama, Asana, Pranayama, Pratyahara, Dharana, Tana, Samadhi. Um, and then we think of the physical Ashtanga that came out of Mysore, India, with Shri Kipatabi Joyce. And when we think of that, we think of primary series, second series, third series, um, very physical, very early in the morning, um, very dedicated practitioners. But what people fail to see is that, or what isn't so apparent on the surface, is that Guruji set up that method because it encompasses all of Patanjali's eight limbs. Yeah, so, um, like Patanjali doesn't say like, start with yamas and then go to niyamas and then do asana. Um, they're kind of like free form in that sense. So in Ashtanga, the most obvious thing is the physical practice, the asana. So you use the asana kind of as your gateway. And the very first yogis that really began hatha yoga had that same mentality. They said, hey, we have a body, we have you know this physical self that's tangible, let's explore this to see what else you know we can learn about consciousness and God and our bodies and life. So very much like those very ancient nath yogis, not ancient, but very old nath yogis, um, you know, we start with the body. And then once you are in your body in that intensity for that length of time, um, the other limbs become more accessible. And you kind of like use the physical body to access the other limbs. Like we uh, in Ashtanga are very concerned with something called Tristana, which is breath bandha's drishti. Um, and just like I'm like sitting my butt down on a, to- a towel, a blanket, <laughs> this is not a towel over not the beach, um, a blanket um, to like meditate or to talk to you or to be focused, like you sit your attention on those three things like you would to meditate. And so you get the meditation and the focus through that. Once you um, are in your body in that intensity for a certain amount of time, you begin to feel things and you go through this huge spectrum of emotions that have been stuck in your body as tension. And then it's easier to be nice to people or understand people because you're like, hey, I remember in practice the other day when I put my leg behind my head and it didn't go the way I wanted to and I got really mad. So I could see how this person didn't get what they wanted and now they're mad. So you start to become more respectful towards others you know, and practice the yamas. You start to take care of yourself because in order to do this practice, you have to be you know, on top of your game. Like you can't you know, go out drinking the night before and then expect to roll out of bed at 5.30 in the morning and be able to do primary or secondary series. Well, you could, but mm. it just wouldn't <laughs> feel that good to you, probably. It will not feel good. <laughs> I mean, I've been there, but um, yeah. So, I mean, all those eight limbs start to fall into place um, for those that this method works for. And I'm not saying that, like, everyone's going to have 
you know, raging success with the Ashtanga Yoga method. Um, it just works for a lot of people, I think. And um, I just think that it's all the magic of yoga is kind of built into that method. And it's, mm. it's not so obvious. We don't talk about it so much in Ashtanga, but it's all there. So in a way, they're one and the same mm -hmm. a little bit, both Ashtanga Yoga. So Patanjali is Ashtanga Yoga. Um, tell us a little bit about that because um, and how you, what drew you to um, that particular practice? Um, well, Patanjali's Ashtanga Yoga, you mean Guruji's Ashtanga or Patanjali's? I'm sorry, Guruji. I was like, I was like, I don't really know what he was thinking, but he's really <laughs> smart. Um, it's only 2,000 years, 5,000 Yeah, I mean, I got drawn to it the way many Ashtangis do, um, just because I'm a really physical person. I really enjoy exercise. I really enjoy asana, um, and it's a very physically rewarding practice. Um, it's very rajasic. There's lots of activity, and there's lots of fire, and you build up a lot of heat. It takes a lot of discipline and focus. And um, I kind of grew up in DC. I grew. I didn't kind of grow up in DC. I did you grow did. up in DC. <laughs> um, and there's this mentality there that there's kind of like glamour and struggle. That like you're working hard, you should be, um, you know, kind of beat down a little bit, and that means like you're doing a good job. And Ashtanga kind of has that flair to it, kind of like it's scrappy, and you have to pull from like really deep places within yourself, and you have to. Um, fight really to get through it sometimes but it seemed very like you're doing more and I think that mentality pulled me into it um, and that became truthfully my least favorite thing about the practice over time um, but I stayed because I realized through underneath that there's so much gold and so much nectar yeah there really is the I think the Shtanga practice is uh, very I don't know how to say like gymnastics like yeah, acrobatic. Yeah, say acrobatic, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, or pretzely. <laughs> yeah, and I think yoga um, scares some people with the word itself, and um, the Ashtanga practice is very physical. And yes. I think that's cool. It's a little bit what you teach um, here in Charleston. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what I do is I pretty much will take one piece of the Ashtanga practice, and I will sequence a vinyasa class that kind of teaches the nuts and bolts of it, and I'll put it all together. Um, peak posture sequencing, I think, is a good way to to describe it. Peaking to a specific specific pose. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> cool. So, stronger practice we have, and then another um, practice in, in yoga or school of yoga, I don't know if I can say, is uh, Jiva Mukti. Yes. Right, and this I believe is where you did your teacher training, right? My first one, yes. Your first teacher training. Uh -huh. Can you tell us a little bit about your first teacher training and sure. what what led you to do the training and become a teacher? Sure. Yeah. Well, um, the, I got interested in Jiva Mukti in college. Um, I went to an art school, and you know, everyone in art school—not everyone—but there's a big um, pull to be different and to um, you know be exotic and to find inspiration in far-reached places and. Um, yoga and a radical form of yoga was kind of my um, version of that. So, I mean, you're, you know, college is a time where you do kind of play with your identity and I wasn't living at home, I was living in Savannah. Um, Commuting to the school in Savannah? 
No, I was living in Savannah. You were living in Savannah. And the school in Savannah, it's, I mean, very well known. It's um, Savannah College of Art and Design. Yeah, which is awesome, awesome school. Yeah, it was a really great school. Really, I can't say, like, enough good things about it. Um, but it's a time when I was kind of like, okay, like, you know, I was this Krista in high school. Like, how far can I push my identity? And they have really radical beliefs in Jeeva Mukti. Um, not radical, but, well, some people describe them as radical. Some describe them as like militant or um, strict, but they do have a certain set of guidelines and beliefs. And I found that somebody my age, um, in order to live that way, would have to be kind of radical. And so I decided to kind of abide by those laws. And it felt very authentic at the time. Um, I, I mean, amazing teachers in the Jeeva Mukti community. Mm. And Jeffrey and Andrea, who own Satsang Yoga here, were two teachers that really spoke to me. And I just saw how they could take the yoga practice and apply it to life today. And I saw just how convicted they were and how strong they were and how confident they were as they moved through their life. And I was really taken by that and said like I want that like I you know I want to move in this direction and so I think it kind of served those two purposes gave me some structure and a way to kind of figure out the ins and outs of yoga mm-hmm. um, gave me mentors and at the same time it kind of allowed me to be different than my peers and a little a little loopy at the time so these two teachers that are here uh, they're in Mount Pleasant yes South Carolina and uh, that was one of the locations for the Jeevamukti schools. Yeah, right. at one time it was the only other school outside oh, of New York New City. York. Right. Yeah. I think it still might I think there's one in New Jersey now, but I, I believe so. Yeah, and there's not that many. So that I mean that's pretty uh, cool and amazing to have that so close to here. Yeah, like right in Charleston. <laughs> it's like wow. How how um how about going into the teacher training? Bring us back to that. Oh the teacher training, um well I was going through, I guess, like a, do I even need a degree phase? (laughs) And my parents were very scared of this phase, like, oh my gosh, you're a junior, just like finish college already. Um, So they said, if you, you know, but this training was like what I wanted to do. And so they said, okay, we'll let you take some time off school for this training if, you know, you promise that you will walk away with a degree from SCAD. And so I was like, okay. So I took a semester off of school and I went up to Rhinebeck, New York to the Omega Institute to do the training, and it's um, a residential training. So you live there for a month, and you um, you know, study all day long, pretty much, just like from seven in the morning till like 11 at night, you mm-hmm. are doing things that are very focused. Um, and I loved it at the time. I mean, I wanted to eat, breathe, sleep, dream yoga, and that was my chance to do it. Um, and you're learning really good skills as a Jeeva Mukti teacher, like um, how to structure classes very well and intelligently, um, all about philosophy, how to take your yoga off your mat. And so um, it felt very complete and very whole to me. And um, again, I was in college, so I felt like my identity was really amorphous and I could kind of, you know, be this person or that person and um, adapt some of these beliefs as my own. And I really did. Um, I think become a much better person from my time in Jeeva Mukti. It's amazing hearing um, people's stories from their teacher trainings and they're always um, so passionate and attached to like their experience in their teacher training. Yes. Whether it was like the moments that they had there, their connections with their students, their teachers. So I think that's really fun and cool. Yeah. That you had such an amazing one. 
I do. And I mean, the connections that you do form in teacher trainings are like invaluable. And I met so many good friends in every training I've done. But I'm like a very focused person and very like goal oriented. And so at the end of the day, I would like always be there for the yoga. Like people would be like, let's like drum circle. And I'd be like, nah. Like, (laughs) I'm kind of a loner. And so I feel like I brought that into my teacher trainings, which is kind of anti-teacher training. But um, but yeah, I was always there for the yoga. I was very focused. Yeah, for sure. I think most are too. Do you have uh, any words for um, any students that are looking to go into the next like steps and becoming a yoga teacher and they're like looking at teacher different teacher trainings that are around the world and around their um, cities do you have any like pieces of advice for them yeah um, I mean find teachers or methods or schools or programs that really speak to you that light you up and make you um, want to get on your mat um, so like don't do a training or go with a certain teacher because you think you should or because you think that's what a good yoga teacher would do um like find people that inspire you find people that um don't try to put themselves above you that you know realize like we're all figuring stuff out together and use the training more as an opportunity for them to study and not just like pontify (laughs) um and to Make sure that you find a format that is going to um, match your endurance level. So, like, if a month-long training where you're doing nothing but yoga is something that you feel is, like, a dream, that you just wake up every day and from, like, 7 a.m. till midnight, you're just, like, immersed in this study, then go for it. Wonderful. Um, If you're somebody who has responsibilities while you're going through training, whether it's children or a job, um, definitely feel free to take a training that's spread out over time. and like I remember my dad told me when I was graduating college he was like college really is only gonna help you get your first job and then after that you know it's kind of all experience from there and it's kind of the same with teaching yoga Mm -hmm. where um, like the training is gonna give you the skills and you're gonna learn things and you're gonna become a more confident teacher and feel ready to or at least qualified to step up in front of groups and lead people through their bodies but what makes you a good yoga teacher and what the there's no more valuable training out there than experience. So, I mean, yes, I learned so much in all my trainings, but the teacher I am today came from the classes I've taught and the students I've worked with and the mistakes I've made. So, like, pick a good training for sure and pick one that works for your life and find people that inspire you and people that are kind to you and people that make you feel like you're worthy to teach yoga. Um, But know that at the end of the day, like, field experience is what's gonna make you a great teacher. I think that's really great advice because uh, the teacher training is just like a tiny little stepping stone and uh, yeah like F up mess up like make mistakes yes. and stuff in your class and that's how you learn yes. I, I truly feel that way because um, I went right from 200 hour to teaching yoga full-time and getting that experience and I feel like it was super valuable that what I what I got in the teacher training but everything was kind of jumping in and teaching all levels classes, seniors classes, kids classes, um, any kind of yoga p- class that was offered. Yeah. I think I, I just say like to, to new teachers, just say yes. Just get any opportunity to teach and get that experience. Yeah, definitely. There's no substitute for experience. No substitute for looking at real people's bodies 
and because I remember like at teacher training like everyone there has been doing yoga for at least like minimum six months and so everyone has like some level of ability and competency mm-hmm. and then when you come into a class and have somebody who's their first yoga class I'm just like being able to work with their body and see you know how they are intuitively trying to move through the practice teaches you more about bodies than working with people that already know you know that's true yeah and it's so rewarding and fun to take in that brand new student and oh like God. seeing them grow and we, we both know it's it's a really, really cool process. It is, yeah. yes. So after your yoga teacher training with Jiva Mukti, what next? Um, um, what did you do and when did you start um, teaching yoga classes? I started a little bit before my training um, with friends, like nothing super Just going formal. all over the world. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> not super formal. No, but that's a very... Um, uh, usual common thing where like you're familiar with the practice you've taken a bunch of classes so you were like just leading tiny groups yeah classes yeah (laughs) anything fancy it's not (laughs) i don't think i think it was like a porch situation at a friend's house and then we'd like brunch after um but i finished school after my training and at the same time started teaching at a co-op studio in savannah the yoga co-op um and it was just a really sweet studio with really sweet people and such a good community. Um, so I started teaching there. I started teaching on Hilton Head where um, my parents were at the time and where I had taken my first yoga class and kind of had grown up in that studio. So it was kind of like, oh, Chris is teaching. Like, mm. it kind of felt like the baby, like getting to play adult. That's super cool. It was the same yoga space? Yeah, same, same yeah space. the exact same room where I first laid down a mat in a public building. Cool. What was it called? A Jiva yeah. Yoga Center on Hilton Head Island. Awesome. And it's still open today, not in the same building. Um, I actually teach there currently still. Cool. Taking some time off in between, but I'm back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, you were teaching a little bit before, you did your training, and when did you sort of go into it as a, as a full-time? As a career. Right after college, pretty much. I finished college with the mentality that I was going to explore um, things in my major. I was a graphic design major, so applied for design jobs, started Same. to do freelance I did that work. too for oh, a little bit, yeah. Yeah, it's a great education. It was very well with yoga. It's all about taking different components and making them unify, so yeah. it's all the same stuff. Um, so I explored that, but at the same time, like yoga was where my heart was. So um, I started teaching anywhere I could, Savannah, Hilton Head, a little bit in DC. Um, and then I started to work for Andrew and Jeffrey at, um, at the time it was Jeeva Mukti Charleston, now it's Satsang Yoga. Um, and it was much more of a management position and like I knew I wanted to teach yoga. Like I didn't, like, I mean I love yoga studios, I love the environment, but like teaching and guiding people through their bodies was really like what I wanted to do. I don't know if it, it was a gift at the time, but it was what yeah. I wanted to do. Right, the classes. Um, yes. Yeah. So I saw Sean Korn was doing a training in DC. And so I kind of just jumped out of Charleston instead of moving back to DC. I missed my family, I really wanted to be back with them for a little bit. So moved to DC, did Sean Korn's training. And then from there I started teaching full time and had a bunch of different studios in DC. And that just kept growing and growing and growing. Wow. When you were back in uh, Hilton Head and Savannah, was this your regular um, teaching schedule where you were traveling and moving around all these places and teaching? Yeah, um, 
really just Savannah and Hilton Head, which is, they're like an hour apart, so okay. I kind of grew, and I grew up in D.C. I don't know how many times I'm going to tell people on this podcast I grew up in D.C. You get the point. <laughs> You're just um, representing. Yeah. Your rep- love for the city. Rep- in D.C. Um, so it's like not, like my dad drove 40 minutes to work every day. Um, if you wanted to go to the mall, it was like a 40-minute drive. Mm-hmm. So I was used to that. And so driving an hour to go to work didn't really seem, especially a work that I was like obsessed with and wanted so passionately to do, didn't seem like a big thing at all. Yeah. Um, I can relate and like have that too, like, you know, driving, sitting in the car for so long, and that's what I do now, um, teaching. I kind of like it. I think it's cool, and it gives me time to kind of see the beautiful greater Charleston area. Yeah. Um, but it does have its hard work, of course, and gas mileages. Um, do you have any Do you have any advice, because you've been doing it um, throughout your time teaching yoga for a, a new teacher that is in a town and they are trying to do it full time? teaching and driving and teaching and driving? Um, well, be kind to yourself. I mean, it's not an easy schedule, no, like waking up and knowing that your job is an hour and a half away or two hours away. And, and that could be teaching yoga or doing something else. Yeah, <laughs> it's not easy. It's very stressful knowing that like you have all these obstacles to get to your job and like for somebody with anxiety like myself, like thinking of like, what if I get a flat tire? What if I get an accident? What if the roads collapse and I can't make it there? Like, and knowing that like- Or traffic. Or traffic, yeah. I love how you say it would collapse. (laughs) Yeah, that's how my mind works. I'm like, we're all gonna die, but maybe there'll be traffic. Um, And just knowing that, you know, there's things that really are out of your hands, like you get in the way, it's really stressful. So leave yourself plenty of time. Like I remember when I would go into DC, I'd make a day of it. So I'd like go into DC, um, practice in the morning, maybe go to a museum after practice, um, go to a friend's house and like shower, eat something and then teach my class. So I wasn't just like zooming into the city trying to find parking, like right as class was beginning. Um, So trying to make a day of it, trying to um, build time for yourself into your schedule um, and working smart like like real life is money <laughs> like we need money to you know function in this world so making sure that the driving you're doing is worth your time and is financially rewarding so um, like trying to get back-to-back classes if your studio will allow that or you know having more than one class in one day um, in a city, whether it's at the same studio or different studios, um, planning more workshops and trainings, and starting to expand, you know, into different formats that make the traveling time a little more worth it. Uh, and not that like it's not worth it to like teach a five-minute class to one person because that one person is going to feel so much better after they leave. Um, but just making sure that you are gonna walk away feeling like there's an equal energy exchange where you put in all this effort to get there and that what you went for was also, you know, fulfilling to you. Right, so. totally. Yeah, I think that's great advice because it's the last, one of the last things you wanna be doing is feeling very stressful, looking for a spot or something to go into a, a yoga studio to teach. Yes. <laughs> you wanna feel relaxed. So I think that's great advice how you spent like the whole day and you were in the city. That's sort of what I do um, today on Wednesdays in, in Charleston is I, I biked this morning actually 
over from West Ashley where I'm living. And oh, wow. That's I a spend, flight ride. Yeah, uh, it took about 50 minutes, but... Oh, only 15? 50. Oh, I was like, oh, you bike really fast. <laughs> that was impressive. <laughs> I'm like, we're right over West Ashley. No, I'm like West West Ashley, so cool. a little out there. Yeah. Um, but then I like kind of have my whole day where I'm down here um, at Urban, and I teach later on, and then I go and practice at my end of the day, and then um, I meet my wife, and we, I go back. I get a ride back home. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's sweet. And some days, some weeks. Yeah, yeah, and that's another thing with teaching yoga. It's like your schedule is so different every day, but like week to week, it's very much the same. And so it's like it's like consistent inconsistency. <laughs> mm, consistency and inconsistency. Yeah. yeah. It's uh, have you had a job? I'm, I'm sure you have where you're kind of on the same routine. I same tried a nine to five for three months, and it was horrible. I couldn't do it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I do appreciate the flexible schedule that comes with teaching yoga, but at the same time it's not flexible because then it's like every Wednesday at 6 you will be at this in this room, you know, teaching this practice. Um, and when you want to make another yoga class or your personal practice, yeah, it uh, makes it challenging. It does make it challenging. I mean, there are days when I lived in D.C. where I'd wake up at 4.30 in the morning to drive to D.C. to practice drive home, and then drive back to D.C. at night, which was like an hour with traffic, hour and a half drive, um, to get my own practice in and to teach and Yeah, that. it's work. It's work, yes, yeah. it is. Sometimes that's usually like one of the hardest parts in yoga practice, I think, is that work to get to the class. Definitely. <laughs> Even if you're just practicing at home, getting from your bed to your porch where you're going to practice can seem like the most impossible journey of your whole life. Um, so yeah, I mean, I guess it's gonna be hard whether you're driving across state lines or you just, you just like <laughs> make it out of bed. Yeah, any um, advice for doing that? And second part of the question, um, do you have any morning routines that um, you like doing that um, are, are helpful for you? Well, um, I'm like kind of all over the place with morning routines. Um, I mean, I do try to prioritize my practice. So if I have nothing going on that day where I don't need to be on the road early, I don't need to, um, you know, I don't have a bunch of teaching that day, you know, I'm either up early driving to Mysore practice or I'm practicing Ashtanga at home. Um, but if it's like my boyfriend lives out of town, so if he's around, I'm going to give myself the morning off to enjoy breakfast with him and like snuggle with my cat and be, you know, more at home. Um, and then maybe later in the day when, you know, he goes to the gym, then I'll do my practice. So I'm a little more lenient with that, but like little rituals that I try to do every day, like I oil pull. Um, I think that's a really, um, easy, but beneficial practice. Can you explain that? What it is? Yeah. You just take a tablespoon of, I think it can be any oil. I do coconut oil. Um, but I think toasted sesame oil is also really good. Um, take a tablespoon put it in your mouth, swish it around for, I tried to do it for 20 minutes. I know you can do it for as little as 10, 15. I think 20 is like usually like where after that you're not gonna benefit much. Um, and then you spit it out either in the trash or in the toilet. I know some people say don't spit it out in the toilet because you're gonna clog it over time, mm. but I've yet to do that. So I'm gonna continue to stand by the <laughs> toilet spitting. Stand by it. Yeah, and it whitens your teeth. I think the, um, fats in the oil pull bacteria off of your teeth. Um, I know if I don't do it, I just feel like my mouth is like a 
trash can of grime. <laughs> um, so I think it, it might even just be like habit at this point, but I think it feels really um, good. And people say it helps your metabolism and like wakes you up. I don't notice that. It might, and I'm just not aware. Um, but it's just something good for myself every morning that I know I can do, whether it's like 20 minutes in the shower, swishing it around, or while I'm driving and then spitting it out in a cup or mm -hmm. something. Um, that's probably my most consistent morning ritual. Interesting. Sort of like mouthwash, where you're just holding it in your mouth? Yeah, yeah, yeah. just swish it around. Like pulling it, I think, means like pulling it through the spaces in your teeth. Um, so and not swallowing it. Yeah, don't swallow it. I, don't, I think if you swallow it, like you're not gonna die. But is it just coconut oil? Just coconut oil. Yeah, I've definitely. Um, it's an air. It. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I think if it, the theory is like it pulls off so many bacteria from your saliva and your teeth that like swallowing it's just like swallowing a big like lump of gross germs. Um, yeah. But I think you'll survive. Cool. I like that morning. So that's an interesting one. Yeah. All right. So. You're teaching regularly in Charleston now, here at Urban, um, and you're like constantly on the road and doing all these fun, cool, crazy things um, with yoga, doing a lot of yoga workshops. Um, I know I've asked you this before, but can you tell us um, how did you get involved in like yoga workshops? Sure. Um, well, I'm really blessed that I've just grown up with this practice and have loved this practice and was raised by a family where I've had a ton of freedom as I grew up. So um, I really had time to like hone skills in this practice in a way that I feel like most people just don't have the time to do it or I was very lucky for some reason I had the interest very young to do it and so um, I feel like I just got very articulate and proficient at very specific things in practice. Um, and they just happen to be things that a lot of people find difficult or scary or challenging, um, namely inversions, arm balances, advanced asana. Um, and so people started to contact me to either teach workshops at their studio. Um, you know, they would just say like, hey, like we have an opening in May and we want you to, you know, we want to do a workshop, an inversion workshop, would you be interested in doing it? And um, so I started workshops that way. And then um, I'm really lucky that I've had just some incredible colleagues as I taught in DC and as I grew up with the practice. So these teachers would have training programs of their own um, or travel gigs of their own. And they uh, invite me to you know, interject my um, perspective of the practice into their um, trainings. And it started out very much where it literally would just be like, Krista's coming for a few hours this afternoon and we're just going to spend time with Krista. Mm. Um, now it's evolved more where I've been given modules like I'm teaching inversions, arm balances, anatomy, history, sequencing, and so I'm kind of just like a free agent. <laughs> They'll say this is, our this is our teacher training program, we have spaces for this, 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 would you want to teach them? And so um, it's nice because I don't have the risk of trying to set up a training myself. Um, I don't think I'm organized <laughs> enough to do that. Um, but I get to kind of piggyback off of my amazing colleagues that have great students and create such thorough, competent programs or comprehensive programs and kind of just get to swing in and share what I love during those. So, I mean, it's really just the community that has given me space to be myself and teach and share what I love 
with people who are willing to listen. Yeah, and doing it very well too. Oh, that's very sweet. Thank you. <laughs> I try. Um, you are a free agent. Yes. Um, and like that's what yoga teachers are. And I try to tell like new yoga teachers that you know, sort of in a way, you're like an independent. You are an independent contractor. Yes. For most yoga studios that you work with, um, I would think around the country. I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm um, a yeah independent contractor. Whether I'm teaching here or anywhere else. Yeah. So having those skills, being like an entrepreneur, a yogi preneurs. Um, uh, better, yes. <laughs> better word to describe it. That's <laughs> the way you think about it. And like you're with graphic design skills and everything in the background, you can, you know, awesomely bring it all together. Yeah, I think that I mean, and this is just one thing our yoga practice teaches us. It's just like things don't make sense until they do. Um, like I didn't know when I was a graphic design major that I was really going to use those skills to market my teaching and myself and my quote-unquote personal brand, even though I don't think I really have one. Um, you do. Oh. For sure, we all do. Um, so Actually, on your website, check and check out um, KristaBlockYoga.com. Yeah, Because um, it's an awesome website that I've been um, checking out um, your bio and all your workshops and classes that you have going on. And I mean, that's essentially your brand. You have your own vibe. Yeah, I guess plain dirt is my <laughs> But that it really is my brand because, um, I mean, the most applicable uh, way I've used the practice is to help with depression. And so it's kind of just like I felt like dirty and low and too grounded. And it's kind of like I've had to use this practice to like grow out of that. And so I think that is my brand in a sense. <laughs> I haven't really organized it and put like a cute little like slogan to it, like intro or um, a different one, but. So this is the specific photo on your website where you're, so it is dirt? Yes, or, it's dirt. People are like, are you playing in coffee grounds? I do <laughs> love coffee, so it's like probably not a far-fetched idea, but it's dirt, it's potting soil. <laughs> yeah, it's related, it's relative. Yes. That's awesome. So check out Krista's website, um, your schedule, and the workshops that you're doing around the country. Um, do you have anything coming up soon? Um, I'm going to be in Atlanta this month, May 21st, for a transitions workshop um, at Ebb and Flow Yoga Studio. Um, I think that's my most recent one. And then in the fall, um, I'm a part of a ton of training programs in D.C., so... Um, I'll be doing workshops in Maryland and DC um, in addition to being parts of those trainings. So if you're looking for a good teacher training program, um, check out either Extend Yoga's or Mimi Rieger's teacher training and I'll probably be there for those. That's awesome. And check out Krista, KristaBlockYoga.com for all that info um, and where you'll be. And last question, last part. Yes. So you're possibly on an island, right? And you have to gather like a certain amount of things and you can only choose um, two books to have you with you for a really long time. And one of the books is, uh, you had to take along a non-yoga book. Okay. And um, what, uh, what yoga related book would you bring? Ooh, that's such a good question. Um, for my yoga book, I probably would bring an anatomy book because that can, it's not a yo, it's like not, it wouldn't be a yoga anatomy book. It'd just be an anatomy. Book. Does that still make? Does that still <laughs> definitely? Count? Okay. Yeah. So is there I, any specific one? Because there's yoga anatomy. Um, I believe. Ray Long. Yeah. Yeah, Ray Long. Um, I like the. I'm a very visual person, and so I really appreciate the images in that. But if you're looking for more of a 
guide that kind of takes you through the body and what it means to a yoga teacher. Um, Functional Anatomy of Yoga by David Kyle, K-I-E-L. Um, it's an incredible yoga book, um, a yoga anatomy book. Ugh. And then for my non-yoga book that was going to be with me a while, I know what it would be. It would be um, the Yiddish Policeman's Union. Is that what it's called? It's by Michael Chaban. I think it's called the Yiddish Policeman's Union. Um, and it has this like old-timey detective talk in it, and so I would try to like. It's a great story too. So like I'd be entertained, and I'd probably pick up like old-timey detective dialogue and Yiddish words at the same time, which are just silly and fun. So it'd probably be good for morale. That's awesome. That's a good one. <laughs> yeah. Well, cool. Thanks, Krista. Thank you. And you're on Instagram at Krista Block. Yes. And check you out because you got awesome yoga poses, and you have a really good sense of videos too. Um, breaking things down and it's Krista Yoga on Facebook yes right cool thanks thank you there it is you guys a great podcast with Krista Block please check her out on Instagram and Facebook and if you have one more moment please subscribe to the Talking Yoga with Joe podcast tell and share it with any of your friends colleagues or even anybody that's just interested in getting into yoga. I've had a lot of fun the past year recording these seven podcast episodes and I have so many more coming up with so many more great yoga teachers and people that are just leading the yoga industry, whether in Charleston South Carolina here or all over the world. So I look forward to sharing that story with you all and with the world. And please, if you'd like to connect, let me know what you think. You can find my yoga page, Yoga with Joe, and that's on Facebook and Instagram. <laughs>